Liz Batty, Liz Batty, does whatever a Liz Batty can. Can she look at the stats? Yes, she can, but she has no cats. Look out. Here comes the Liz Batty. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to the 100th episode of Octothorpe, which is coming to you on the 4th of January 2024. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. It's been 100 episodes. 100. That's, that's quite a lot, isn't it? That's a lot. When did we get to 100? I don't know. How did that happen? Yeah, number go up. And so we're carrying on. We're not stopping. Doing more in 2024, because 2024 is going to be a super quiet year for British science fiction fandom in which nothing important is going on. <laughs> I mean, if if you end up murdered in your bed with a uh, horse head made of Glasgow tartan on your pillow, I will not be surprised. I nearly, uh, it was midnight and I thought, oh, I could text Esther and say, hoping you have a peaceful and uneventful 2024. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, it's time for letters of... Hang on a minute. There's someone at the door. Oh, it was the postman. And he had a telegram. Ooh. <laughs> now, so non, non-British non listeners may not be aware, but on your 100th birthday, you get a telegram from the monarch. <laughs> and we have a telegram here. Below two pieces of Weetabix, it reads... I am so pleased to know you are celebrating your 100th episode in January 2024. I send my congratulations on best wishes to you on such a special occasion. Claire Briley of Croydon. <laughs> I may have solicited this particular lock. <laughs> John is screen sharing it. And, uh... Oh, yeah, very good telegram. <laughs> Thank you very much to Claire for sending us our birthday telegram. I thought it was apt given as Claire is obviously the reigning monarch of British fandom. Absolutely. And and, and like Mark's the Prince Consort, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's apt. I think that makes sense. Yeah, they better have thrones for them at Glasgow. That's all I can say. <laughs> Thank you very much to Claire for our birthday telegram. We will see you at Eastercon and Glasgow variously. I'll see you on Thursday. Yes, that's fair. Christopher J. Garcia emailed to say, barreling towards 100, what sort of special will y'all be unleashing? Uh, This. This. It's the hangover special. Yeah, we are recording on New Year's Day. In the morning. With very few show notes. Yeah, but alcohol. (laughs) It's afternoon for Liz. Yeah, I don't have show notes or alcohol. So anyone who is minded to complain that this is a slightly short, slightly disorderly episode should look to last year where we put out a two-minute episode for New Year. (laughs) Did we? Yeah. We do have... So he says, is this the first chapter of a trip report appearing on a podcast? Uh, Yes, we believe so. If you know differently, listeners, write in. But I think so. And he says, Sandra is indeed a good egg. Um, thank you again, Sandra, for standing in for Liz, who was on assignment. I must supposed to say something about my assignment. You can if you like, but there's no obligation. <laughs> you, you paused for a meaningful length of time. Um, 
Are you on an assignment, Liz? Um, I will. I will actually briefly say thank you to various bits of Bay Area fandom for showing me various bits of the Bay Area, and also John, who is not part of Bay Area fandom, for showing me various bits of the Bay Area. Or John, are you like honorary member of Bay Area fandom? Did you marry into it or something? Does that count? Sort sort of yes and no. Yeah. A Bay Area in law. Because I ex because I like actively worked to take Hispania away from Bay Area fandom, I'm not sure whether I count as a member or whether I'm like an agitator. Mm. Are you their nemesis? I've been to a Basfa meeting, which for someone versed in pub meetings in the UK was utterly bewildering. Oh, all oh god, everywhere. They're all like this. Seattle and Toronto weren't. No, but um, Nesfa is, and I think Lasfus is, and the Australian, some of the Australian ones are. The critical, what's it called? Critical thing. I should know this. <laughs> critical thing. Yep, fair enough. And Nova Mob, and uh, yeah, their meetings. It's really weird. I guess from that from that perspective, like, I guess the BSFA and ZZ9 Alpha, like, are more meeting focused sometimes but like yeah it was weird to have like a a, a city group be chaired uh it was odd but yes me and liz went to a board game shop and then we went to a bookshop and then we went to another bookshop and then we had pizza and beer it was pretty good mm-hmm. and brussels sprouts yes brussels sprouts with daca and pomegranate molasses which were friggin' great <laughs> JC was at the party I was at last night and um, he was wearing a t-shirt with a picture of a Brussels sprout and the words, not just for Christmas. I agree with that. I do agree with that. Mm. Chris also says, we have half of the Hugo stats. Numbers look like voters were voting in patterns that he thought they would, although Journey Planet did better than he'd have thought. So yeah, we know the voting for, we know the voting, but not, not, not the nominations. Yeah, so we know where we came in the stats. Third. Um, I think I was fourth or fifth, and we were third. We're third. It's pretty good. And Journey Planet was three votes off winning. <laughs> really? Oh. Which I was I was surprised by because like it often comes second, which I think is the dichotomy between traditional fanzine like effect, basically people who like PDFs and people who like websites. And I think basically the final two end up being all the people who like PDFs have voted for Journey Planet, and all the people who don't haven't. But yeah, it was it was closer than I expected. But but actually, the Chinese, the Chinese fanzine that won is PDS. It was it was quite a good year for traditional fandom. But also, congratulations to Hugo Girl again for if you look at the stats, knocking all the rest of us into a cocked hat. Uh, they got significantly more votes than anyone else. Excellent. Yeah, they crushed us. They crushed us all. Fear their domination. I'm kind of like Hugo Girl could crush me any time they like. We should get badges. Can we have T-shirts? Crushed by Hugo Girl. We're not that sort of podcast. Come on. <laughs> uh, we were fourth, by the way, not third. Oh, I thought we were third. Oops. We were fourth. I thought we were fourth. I thought I was fourth as well, but maybe I was fifth. I don't know. I don't. You were fourth. I was fourth. You can tell I paid a lot of attention. <laughs> As our official Hugo Stats Maven, Liz. Yes. What is the deadline for Dave McCarty getting his finger out and getting the nomination slaps up? Oh, I meant to look this up and then I forgot. No, 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 Liz Bat. Okay, so one of the things I did in the last week is read the six Warren Ellis written Declan 
shall be drawn episodes of Moon Knight issues. Hey! I can't distinguish the words issues and episodes in my mind anymore. They have, they have become one word. Yep. Ishipodes. Um, so, and they are, they are very stylish. Yes. And I kind of understand some stuff at the end of them, but I'm kind of like, should I go on and read the rest of the run written and drawn by other people or not? Or should I just go and watch the TV show? The current Moon Knight run, I think, is better than the rest of the Ellis run and uh, has extremely good art, but also has a really interesting, it's got some really interesting mystic concepts. So if you wanted to carry on reading Moon Knight comics, I would read the currently running Moon Knight, which I'm really enjoying. I would say, what do I say about these things? I'm going to crit- I mean, the story is fine, but the art is fantastic. Um, so that, and there is in particular a, a bit of sequential art that I think is fantastic that I have not seen used before in episode issue two, the sniper. Yes, yes, I know the one you mean. Um, so I thought that was magnificent, and um, yeah, not a pick, but that was one of the other things I did over Christmas and New Year. So I might go, and, I, I might do some more Moon Knight. It is the reason Moon Knight's relevant, people, is that over in another place we're doing the Moon Knight game book as a kind of collective thing choose your own adventure yeah, yeah so i was like i how do i know nothing of this character and i, I still don't understand why it, the character totally passed me by despite the fact that bill sinkovitz drew it in like 1980 or something and i was quite the sinkovitz fan for a while i will say i think the current runner moon knight also has great art which is one of the reasons why i'm really um i'm really enjoying it like some of the art reminds me of that ellis run liz you return. Yes. What did you find out? What did I find out? Uh, so the full Hugo stats must be released by January 19th. So we are at most kind of two weeks away from stats. Full stats. Well, not quite. There is a chance they won't be out the next time we record. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance they won't come out on January 19th because what happens if you don't do the stats on time? Basically nothing. But I think they probably will. Dave McCarthy, I'm going to sick Moon Knight on you. I mean, do you have his phone number? Are you just going to call him up? That's just helping John with his editing issues. Yay. Do you want some, like, stats figures, though, from what we've got so far? Oh, yes, please. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. And, um, I mean, I also say that Nicholas White did a blog post on this as well, which we will link to. But basically, there were quite a lot of sort of just first round winners, right? Like, you don't have to redistribute them. They've just got a ton of votes, so they are over 50% of the votes, like, in the first round. So, uh, for instance, Nettle and Bone was a runaway winner for novel. You know, some of the others are are quite close, but that was a runaway winner. Surprisingly to me, Children of Time was a runaway winner. I thought that was going to be quite a contested category. Yes! Isn't that fantastic? No, but it was just like, everyone was like, no, this is clearly brilliant, give it a Hugo, which is correct. Correct, I say. I mean, it's correct, but I did spend at least two years bigging up Robert Jackson Bennett's trilogy, which came last. So you can still read it. Still there. It's still good. Yeah. Yeah, no, that 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 surprised me that some of the ones that came last were almost more surprising, right? Because like um, Nona came last in novel. So clearly mm. a lot of people did find that book enormously frustrating and it was not just Alison. Yeah, uh, so like the Terry Pratchett biography, again, runaway winner, everything, everywhere, all at once, unsurprisingly, pretty much a runaway winner. Um, not all of these were in the first round, but they were like well ahead of everyone else. 
um, Neil Clark for Best Editor. Um, NJ Zhao absolutely smashed it in um, Best Professional Artist, which I was not expecting. I mean, I thought their art was great, but I wasn't expecting them to get kind of over 370 out of 710 votes. So that was pretty impressive. Strange Horizons were in the lead for five rounds and lost on the very last redistribution of votes by 20 votes. So that was really close. And it must be, I think it must be a bit gutting for the Strange Horizons team who have been second a lot. And they're kind of almost there and never quite make it. Yeah, Best Fanzine was incredibly close. Best Fan Cast was not. Best Fan Writer, one vote in it. Hmm, yeah. So if you didn't vote in Best Fan Writer, you could have swung it. Well, you could have made a tie, which would have been very interesting. Who could you have swung it for? Well, you could have swung... It was Chris Barkley by one vote over Riverflow. So if you were planning to vote for Riverflow and didn't... Yeah. Yeah, don't don't tell them. Yeah, so that's the Hugo voting stat. We're still in letters of comment. This has been a very oddly structured episode. That's okay. I mean, it's that time kind of between Christmas and New Year. Time has no meaning. Betwixtmas. It's not between Christmas and New Year, Liz, because the New Year happened already. Mm, kind of. Yeah, but it's still in the that interregnum before anybody does any work. Spiritually. It's in the 12 days. Do you think we can do this entire episode without ever leaving the letters of comment segment? Maybe that could be episode 100. <laughs> We've only got one more letter of comment. <laughs> so yeah, let's let's give it a go. Why not? We have a letter of comment from Erwin Hirsch. Um, I have to explain that I was joking about a thing, which is when I said it's quite a coincidence that both of the fan funds are sending delegates to the Worldcon. No, of course it isn't. <laughs> I ran a fan fund for two years. I understand how fan funds work, people. And I thought it was weird that Alice and Sandra both treated me as if I was, like, being completely on the record. So I did say it out loud. It, it, it was a joke. <laughs> I'm not saying it was a funny joke, but nevertheless. Erwin Hirsch has written in to enumerate some stats on this happenstance. But we do love stats. Thank you, Erwin. Stats are great. Yeah, and what I actually need to do is work out whether these stats disprove the null hypothesis or whether it's actually impossible to reject the null hypothesis that this is a coincidence at the uh, 5% level. Because it would be quite funny if actually the evidence doesn't prove the hypothesis. But unless Erwin has lost count, since 1979 there have been eight world cons in Europe and at seven, Guff and Taft both had delegates. The only one that missed out was 1990, which was the hague yeah it was conviction in the hague yeah which um there was no taff race and actually i am genuinely surprised that that is the case i i would have assumed they all had one of each and if it hadn't been one i would have assumed it was guff so yeah i'm surprised that it was taff letting the side down yeah i think taff might have been in slight oh was that just after abby frost i don't know but a slight disarray maybe to the taff website I'm already on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's pre Abby Frost. Because I was, I feel like I was quite an active fan at the point where Abby was running, and um, and in 1989, I kind of wasn't. I, you know, I, I was into fandom, but I wasn't. Yeah, you know, I didn't. I wasn't really into Taff and stuff. Yeah, so I I don't know why there wasn't one. I mean, maybe they just didn't have enough 
funds or maybe they just didn't have enough support at the time to manage to run two races in the same direction in consecutively. But basically they skipped 1990 entirely. Yeah. So also Irwin says in 1984, Rob Hansen was at LA Con 2 as the TAF delegate and Justin Aykroyd went to LA Con 2 while on his guff trip, which I do feel is a slight kind of stretching the boundaries of what guff is for. But there we go. I mean, it's... Yes, it's good looking back at the history, isn't it? It is, and I think we should thank Dave Langford for having a website that basically has every single race and like all the newsletters online, so I can actually dig into this. You're showing you're showing guff up a bit, aren't you, Dave? Because I've I've got a whole string of emails in my in tray inbox that are basically, shouldn't we do something about the guff website? To which the answer is definitely, oh yes. <laughs> like, shouldn't guff have a website? Guff does have a website. It's uh, taf.org.uk forward slash guff.html. Yeah. <laughs> that. <laughs> Which, you know. And there's also ozfans.au or something like that. Ozfans. Ozfanfuns.com. Um, I can segue here, I think. Speaking of world cons, Glasgow in 2024, the world con that will be happening this year in britain announced a special guest who is games related tell us about her yes they announced tanya dupas who is i mean i know her from i think her blogging and twitter and as was a founder of uh i need diverse games so a game you know a, a project to diversify gaming and so she's done a lot of work on video games and on rpgs and yeah, I'm not going to go through the whole biography, which is on the Glasgow website, and we'll link to it. But she sounds like a great guest, and I think she fills maybe a gap in the Guest of Honor lineup of someone who is deeply, deeply involved in games and has done a lot of interesting work in the field of games. And that will be really nice to kind of have, have that filled by an expert special guest. So I'm quite excited about this. Way no, it's good. Glasgow are going from strength to strength. No, she's a really good choice for a guest. This is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Irwin also talks. He says the only conventions where Guff and Daff both sent delegates that were not World Cons were the 2008 and 2012 British Easter Cons. Although I think that's wrong. Because Sue Ann and Trevor Clark, Sue Ann Barber and Trevor Clark attended LX in Bradford, and that was two thousand and nine. So I wonder whether it's just twenty twelve. But did we have a TAF delegate that year? Chris, we had the. He says that Sue Ann Barber and Trevor Clark and Chris Garcia both went to two thousand and eight, and I know Chris was at two thousand and eight, but I remember Sue Ann and Trevor were at LX. So I don't know whether that's true. I wonder whether the list of past Guff winners says that Sue Ann and Trevor went to 2008 because they did not. No, no, the, the Guff website is correct and backs up my memory. And then the 2009 TAF trip would have been to the States. I can't remember who won it. 2009 TAF. Yes. Who was? Oh, Steve Green. Steve Green won it because he was administrator when I was running. So... Uh, Owen, I think it's just the 2012 EasterCon because the 2008 EasterCon did not have the Guff delegates and there wasn't a Guff race in 2008 at all. But the 2009 TAF race was the 
to the states so there's there's no way sue ann and trevor were at a convention with a taff and chris wasn't at a convention with a guff so i think that's incorrect but thanks for writing in Irwin. on the subject of writing have you guys read any books recently <laughs> mate i've read a lot of books i feel like I feel like 2023 was a much better book reading year for me than 2022, but Goodreads says I read fewer books, so I'm confused. And I still did not hit my 52 books in a year read. But I have read uh, The Coral Bones by E.J. Swift, which was one of the nominees, one of the finalists for the Clark Award, and I thought it was pretty good. And this novel tells the story. It's three interlinked narrative I, I mean i'm a sucker for this right three interlinked narratives by women past present and future and they are all connected to coral reefs i understand that swift had not visited australia when she wrote the book but she definitely had visited australia by the time she wrote the acknowledgements in the book so because she did actually get out and go snorkeling so there is a little bit of a this is a holiday book about it i'd be interested to see whether actual australians like this book or only or only people who've recently visited australia for whom a lot of the scenes and events in it were quite resonant um there's a kind of current story about climate change destroying the great barrier reef and there is a past story in which a woman who is the daughter of a an explorer um successfully manages to get on to go on one of his her father's expeditions in a way that is not necessarily all that convincing this is uh, that's i thought the least good section of the novel and there is a future um, world where people are dealing with the consequences of climate change and yes it's another climate novel but i thought it was quite good really enjoyed it i also really enjoyed liz's pick foreshadowing <laughs> Ooh, well i really enjoyed your pick alison um which i think i mentioned at the time so it's a good book people should read a good 2022 book haven't started talking about good 2023 books yet the coral bones is the clark award nominee that people thought was good that i haven't read yet and i am it is on my list of things to read but but I, I am hoping I will very much like it. It sounds like my cup of tea. Also, it is beautifully produced by a small press called Unsung Stories, um, which differs from other UK small presses in that it has extremely strong design values. And they've packed it in because they can't make any money. And it turned out that they were... <laughs> You know, they were doing an enormous amount of work for for no return and eventually it became too much for them. But they've published some good books in the meantime. This is one of the ways that small presses go. So that's a bit sad. But anyway, this is a good book and it would be nice to have small presses who are publishing very good books like this. So what I'm hearing is I need to hurry up and buy it before uh, I can't. Oh, I, no, they've packed. They've not gone bust. They've just stopped doing publishing new books. Okay. I mean, I think you have to buy them as ebooks now are keeping their old books in print probably won't be able to get a paper book very easily i don't think no you, you can only get a handful of paper books from them but i think they're still up as ebooks on lee summer's doors i'm just going to check that out actually fair enough fair enough yeah you can still buy it on kindle um i don't think you can buy the ebooks doesn't like you can buy ebooks through their website and there's only a handful of paperbacks left so yeah it is a shame no it's a great shame and I think I think it will be more up your avenue, John, because I think you like Venomous Lump Sucker. I think there is more to kind of either really like or dislike about it. It's a bit more marmitey. I think the Coral Bones is just kind of yeah, reliably good, but maybe the highs are not quite as high as Venomous Lump Sucker if you like it. That yeah, makes sense. that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can see why 
both why the Clark judges gave the award to Venomous Lumpsucker over this and also why people might think that was a terrible thing to have done. Liz, do you have read any books? It's a simple question. Do you have read any books? I do have read books. Apparently in 2023, I somehow read 96 books. Wow. Well done, well done. I don't know when I... I don't know when I did that. On the beach! It was on the beach! I've only been to the beach a couple of times, like this year. I need to go to the beach more, Liz. Ah. Oh, you sent us photos of the beach more than twice in 2023. I don't think I did. I think I may have sent you pictures of a couple of different beaches, maybe. But they were all in the same location. I only had one beachy trip. So obviously I need to go to more beaches so I can read more than 96 books. But yeah, I think in a future episode, we can go through some 2023 books and things we would like to nominate, maybe for the Hugos. Mm. But I will make a start by picking Some Desperate Glory by Astounding Award winner Emily Tesh. I've got to confess I didn't really pay much attention to the novella that she won the Astounding Award for, but this is her first novel and it is really good. Nice. I'm going to say more, John. I'm not finished yet. Oh. (laughs) It is basically a space opera about uh, Kia, who is essentially a child soldier training to avenge the destruction of planet Earth. And so she's been raised by kind of the last bits of humanity on a space station in a very regimented environment, ready for the time she will go out and kind of take revenge on the aliens who destroyed the Earth. And, I mean, it doesn't take you long to realise what's going on, which she is basically being raised as this fascist soldier by these renegade humans. And the novel is about her figuring out that maybe, you know, everything she's been told is a lie. But it's not all a lie. So it's it sounds like a very kind of bog standard, maybe YA space opera. Oh, she's a child soldier, but she figures out what's going on and has an epiphany and it all ends up going okay. But it kind of almost like speed runs enough plot to put into about three novels. And it's got alternate universes and kind of alternate versions of her and alternate ways things could have gone. And it sort of sets up this little squad and you think oh is she going to have this squad of disparate individuals who all come together to save things and no not really it's much more interesting than that so all I can say is like if you read the blurb you might think this sounds like a very not an interesting twist on a story that's been done before but it is a really interesting twist on a story that has been done not quite like this before so you should all go out and read it interesting that sounds really good I really liked it and I thought it did a very good job of both making it very clear that she was she was well read in the genre of young adult books that that had done these sorts of that had dealt with these sorts of themes but um but was obviously doing a fresh take on it but also doing a book that would it would be perfectly accessible to somebody who had not read all of those books and I thought that was quite clever yeah yeah I didn't think it was absolutely perfect but I thought it was generally pretty good there were lots of things I liked about it all through and it's one of the books for 2023 that is getting quite a lot of buzz. So thank you, the library systems of the world. I was going to talk about like libraries because I had a library crisis. I forgot to renew my library books when I was in Australia. And unfortunately, there were 10 of them. And by the time I found out, I'd incurred a fine of £65. 
And then when I returned to Britain and said, oh, no, fair dues, I will pay this fine. Um, I discovered I was caught in a Kafkaesque nightmare where I could only pay the fine by going physically to a library and and paying on the machine. But the first time I went, the sec- machines were down. And the second time I went, it wouldn't let me pay. It was like, you're blocked. You're a blocked user. You cannot pay a fine. And I was like, well, can I pay a fine another way? And they were like, no, you can only pay the fine on the machine. And it took five library visits and about 40 emails um, before this got sorted out. But the resolution was that they waived my fine. So I'm reasonably happy. And my library card works again. But it kind of told me not to do... My former habit was to take out 10 endless paper library books and keep them, renewing them until the point where I finally got round to reading them. And this this is probably a mistake. So I'm going to try and reduce my dependence on actual paper library books. And in honour of this, I have found a couple of libraries that you can join despite not being a resident of the relevant place so that I can increase my library reach. And I, I don't want to kind of broadcast them, but um, thanks, Emily January, who, um, who, who told me how to do this. Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which is a previous pick from um, Liz, I had a 498-day waiting list on Libby for London Libraries Consortium, and it has been delivered to my e-reader, um, the California Library that I, that, that I joined. So I'm quite pleased with that. So Because that's a 2023 book. It's not. So Because the problem with very long wait times from libraries is that you cannot read books in nomination season unless you buy them, but you know. I mean, I do appreciate your enthusiasm, but it was published in 2022, so... Was it a bollocks? <laughs> that tickled me. Okay, I am also going to discuss a book that I read that is from that is from 2022, and that is The Spear Cuts Through Water by Simon Jimenez. It really good. Two thumbs up. Didn't I pick it? Nope. Oh, I thought I did. Maybe not. As, not as far as I can tell. Oh, maybe I didn't. I should have done. Yeah, you should have done, because it's great. I have not yet read this book, but it is on my list. I liked his first book, but I didn't like it quite as much as another book by a different astounding finalist that year, um, which was the one you really liked, Liz. What was that called? Um... Um, About the uh, dimension hopping. Oh, Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson. Yeah. That's the badger. Yeah, I liked that slightly better, but I thought... Jimenez's first book was good and like really interesting like probably more interesting than The Spaces Between Worlds but like probably less well executed this one is even more ambitious uh, in many ways and is just amazing I tore through it a lot of people said the framing device was really confusing and I found it fine which makes me worried I missed something but like it is I guess it's on the confusing side but like I've it you know i just went with it and eventually it turned out that things were happening and you found out what they were but yeah but i mean as someone who primarily reads for vibes the vibes are strong with this book and i very much enjoyed the vibes it's about two people on a road trip plot summarized (laughs) liz Liz is laughing i mean technically correct but pretty useless My aim with all my plot summaries is it's episode 100, so I can now finally reveal this. My aim with all my plot summaries is to give technically correct but utterly useless plot summaries of everything I encounter. Uh, are we? Um, have we, is that the first time we've ever all three three of us picked books? Because that is weird. Uh, I don't know if it's the first. It can't be the first. Surely not. Hang on to the list. 
<laughs> to the list. We have a list of picks now so that we don't repeat ourselves too much. Thank you, John. No, it isn't. We did it on episode 47 where I picked the Psychopath Club by Sandra Bond. Uh, Alison picked Sibilant Fricative by uh, Adam Roberts. And Liz picked The Witness for the Dead by Catherine Addison. Yeah, I've just finished The Grief of Stones, which is the sequel to The Witness of the Dead. Witness for the Dead. And then we did it again on episode 50 where I picked Leviathan Falls, you picked the actual star and Liz picked Elder Race. It is definitely true that I am the least likely to pick a book, which makes me slightly uh, feel slightly weird. I pick a lot of movies. Yeah. I I have also got Leviathan Wakes out of the library. So you see 2024 might be the year where I fully engage with the expanse of its books. I will say Leviathan Wakes is fine, but push through because books two and three are better. Um, Certainly I'm we returned to the expanse when we ran out of for all mankind to watch because we're now on the drip feed of one episode a week for for all mankind which is not enough so the expanse kind of gives me a a a science fiction television vibe this is quite good thank you erwin for writing in (laughs) did we get any other letters we got some toots from raj so raj wrote us two toots firstly he put up the Lizbat signal. He wants to know, can he nominate the whole of Ghost Season 5 for Best Dramatic Presentation Long Form? It's no longer than Oppenheimer. Uh, yes, I should think so, because it's a television series. They often go into Best Presentation. I'm not Liz. I am obviously not an expert. Hang on. Breaking news. <laughs> I mean, I don't see why not. But yes, and I think Ghosts was one of the things in... People have been mentioning it in the giant Hugo spreadsheet of Doom. Yes. I need to watch it. I haven't watched it yet. I haven't seen it. I've only watched one and a half seasons of it, so... I I think we probably need to finish Lower Decks, because we kind of have a comedy slot in our television rotation. Fair enough, fair enough. And then he also says that we need to make room for him on our soapbox, because he also doesn't like it when there's a... um, When novels have the subtitle, A Novel. So, yep, you are welcome to stand on this soapbox, Raj, anytime. Just to be clear, I believe that is John's soapbox. I mean, it's a large soapbox and I welcome all comers. I know. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not sure I'm on the soapbox with you this time. I think that was your soapbox and my soapbox is the TikTok made me read it. Yes. Uh, which today's prime example was the virgin suicides. TikTok made me read it. Apparently. I was in... And I might well have told this story on the podcast already. I apologise. It was a long time ago. But when I was in, I was in um, Maryland over a part of March and I went to a shopping mall to do some shopping uh, and I went into a bookshop and they had a shelf which was labelled TikTok made me read it. So it is not just the online booksellers that are employing this strategy. Oh, no, it's not. So I don't know if you guys saw the Goodreads Choice Awards. Uh, where they have invented the category of romanticy. Nice. Which I think is explicitly designed to be books Alison doesn't want to read. (laughs) (laughs) Goodreads. I've been having trouble with Goodreads all through this podcast because, and this will not surprise you, the Goodreads servers are overloaded on the 1st of January. Isn't all fantasy basically romance because it's all about falling in love with a different world? Mm, no. This. 
Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, Goodreads is currently recommending that I read the a book called Dungeon Master's Guide, Dungeons and Dragons, 5th edition. And there's no <laughs> button to say, on no account do I want to read that. Thanks, Goodreads. Do you know, do you know what Goodreads thinks I should read? No, tell me. <laughs> it thinks I should read China Mieville's Introduction to the Communist Manifesto. Do it, do it. Oh, God, that does sound good, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That, that does sound good. You should do it and then pick it on the pod and we can just talk about communism for an hour. I feel like I'd learn a lot, yeah? Yeah? No, I've got to, I'm have got. i reading 2023 books for nomination purposes for the next month, so... Yeah, so tell us what we should be reading. All These Worlds, Reviews and Essays by Neil Harrison. Oh, yeah, no, it's on my, already on my list. I think, I mean, I think this is a whole future episode, right? Should I be reading some things before I start? Basically, what should I be reading in the next couple of weeks? Hmm. All These Worlds, Reviews and Essays by Neil Harrison. Is that helpful? I've read about half of it, actually. Way. I'm looking for possibilities. Uh, you could try Titanium Noir by Nick Harkaway, as picked by me on the podcast. Oh, I know. Hopeland by Ian MacDonald is on my list. Yep. That's on my list as well. What else is on my list? The Saint of Bright Doors is on my list. I've read that. I don't know why I didn't pick it. I do know why I didn't pick it. I don't think I'm clever enough. All right. I did write a review of it on Goodreads. Uh, you should read Walking Practice by Dolky Min, as picked by me on a previous episode. I think there's a theme here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no. It's almost like Liz has been picking the books that she thinks people should read. Yeah. Crazy. It will never catch on. I'll, I'll come up with some more later. But that's a start. Oh, have we got any more letters, John? Nope. So we finished the letter column for today. Um, do we have any other content for this episode? Because I've got things to do today, like play board games and drink. I mean, you've already started one of those. That's true. That is true. You can multitask. You can podcast and drink. I mean, it's possible you can also podcast. You probably could have podcasted in the gaps between turns in Terraforming Mars, probably. <laughs> oh, God, that would be quite funny. That was the Autothought Podcast. And it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And also, Happy New Year to all our listeners, especially those who've stuck with us for 100 episodes. Yes, thank you to anyone. Yes, if, if, if you've listened to every episode, write in and, and we'll... Buy you a pint. <laughs> read all the names out next time if it's not too many. Yeah. Well, the first one to write in, uh, I'll send a copy of... All These Worlds, Reviews and Essays by Neil Harrison. Really? That'll be Chris Garcia, you know. How are you on international shipping? Ugh. <laughs> the second one to write in. Well, I hand-carried a copy of All These Worlds, Reviews and Essays by Neil Harrison to the Bay Area, so possibly we can facilitate some kind of loan to Chris. Uh, maybe, 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 maybe. Yes, no, but thank you to everyone who has stuck with us. We enjoy doing the podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to it. We do. And it is a lot more enjoyable because you write in and tell us when you agree, when you disagree, when we're completely wrong, etc. So please keep doing that for 2024, especially if John's wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I asked somebody at the party last night whether they listened to Octothorpe and they were like, it's not in my rotation, which I thought was a nice way of saying, nah, it's dull. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very diplomatic saying way of saying, nah. All right, shall we stop recording? Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. Okie dokie.
I have played. I did play many board games. Oh, oh. Uh, which ones? So we played. We finished off our advent calendar. Oh yeah, Marianne had that. The exit one. Yeah, I really like them. They're great. So I'm, I'm, I'm like that might be in our future. Played a lot of herd mentality, which is a popular choice around the holidays. It's a, it's a very popular party game. Yes. Yes, it's very good. I like it a lot. And what else do we play? Played Takedo, played Paleo, played Legendary, played Monikers, played Scout, and played Final Girl. Okay. Apparently, we played Bonanza quite a lot, which is a classic, I understand. Yep, it is Uwe Rosenberg. Yeah, and we played three-player Bonanza, and it was kind of pretty good. And I was getting to the end of the three-player Bonanza, and I was like... Oh, I probably am getting, you know, we played about three or four games and I was like, okay, I probably had enough of this there. And then, and then we played it with four players. And, and at that point I went, oh, this is the game. This is how it works. And then Jonathan, Jonathan hated it. So, you know, that's the problem with, with having a single gaming group is that you find that people go, oh, this doesn't work for me because it's much, it's much crunchier with four you're put in a very very difficult positions all the time which I, I really like and then we played pandemic iberia iberia which was one of the games we got from emily and andrew shout out to emily and andrew if they are listening but they gave me a whole sack of games in a kind of decluttering santa it's the old adage uh, and listeners this is words to live by the easiest way to declutter is to give it to alison <laughs> because and Alison has employed the reverse tactic with me. The easiest way to declutter is to give it to John. Yeah, has also worked. Yep, yep. I mean, I guess more generally, what's old and stale to you is new and exciting to other people. So it, it can be it can be very good. I got three games from Emily and Andrew. I was very restrained. Oh, yeah. Which ones did you get? Scotland Yard, Calico and Kitchen Rush. Yeah, so so we have about, I don't know, six or seven games from Emily and Andrew. And we've played Pandemic Iberia, which obviously we'll keep and carry on playing. And Marianne and I have played The Mind, but we want to play it with all four of us. So that's definitely one of the things we're going to do today. We're going to read each other's minds for New Year's Day. Uh, Marianne and I lost The Mind <laughs> catastrophically. So, you know. And then I've played Shot and Totten with both Stephen and with Marianne. Anyway, this is Games Over Christmas um this which is off topic for the podcast probably so you know who knows well if we're short john can use filler um how many board games did you get from emily and andrew liz <laughs> i got zero board games from emily and andrew Ooh, boo new new conspiracy theory do emily and andrew hate liz more on this as it unfolds the theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod and Competech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.